0: The Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, episode number 45. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple so that you can fuel your best with less. Less time, less money, and less stress. I'm Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, and I'm excited to have you join me on this journey. Each week, I'll be sharing expert advice from leaders in the field of nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and supplementation who actually practice what they preach and are also on a mission to positively impact as many people as possible in a meaningful way. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. When you use the Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre-, during-, and post-workout supplements. You can save time, money, and energy, and get all the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. Make sure you guys stay tuned after the show where I'll share a nice little discount for all of our listeners on your first product purchase. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 45 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I am your host, as always, Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, where we help you make smart nutrition simple. Today on the show, we have Jennifer Fugo. Jennifer is a functional clinical nutritionist. She's a wellness coach and the founder of GlutenFreeSchool.com. She supports women to beat never-ending IBS issues, eczema, and other chronic skin rashes, along with autoimmune concerns. Jennifer is the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper, How to Eat Healthy Without Breaking the Bank, and she's the creator of the gluten-free sugar cleanse and kick gluten for good. Without further ado, let's jump in. Jen, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. How are you?
1: I am well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. I'm, you know, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I'm I'm a big fan of Gluten Free School and everything that you've done. And it was interesting to find out that we went to the same Graduate school, University of Bridgeport, and we both study clinical nutrition at virtually at the same time and so it's <laughs> cool for me to see what you've been able to do um, with your degree how many people you've been able to um, you know have a positive impact in that short amount of time since since graduating for those people that aren't familiar with you, Jen, maybe you could just give us and I know you've done a ton of podcasts and and you're kind of you know you're kind of a big deal, but for those people that don't know who you are, maybe you could just give us a little background into kind of how you got into um, clinical nutrition and you know your own personal background with with gluten and how it became kind of a driving force in helping other people
1: yes and and you know I think it's great that you also have a podcast like this where you're able to share all of this information with people because. You know, frankly, when I went gluten-free, so that was like 10 years ago, th- this kind of stuff didn't really exist. I had no idea what was wrong with me. I just knew that I couldn't wake up in the morning. I had Sorry everybody, we're going to go right into the whole bathroom stuff, Drop but it. I had like really bad diarrhea all the time, bad gas. Um Kind of some bloating, but truthfully, I had actually gained almost about 20 pounds, even though I was really big into going to the gym and working out. And I was doing like kickboxing and spinning and all sorts of stuff. And none of that seemed to help. I just kept putting on weight and feeling just not great. And eventually, after seeing doctors and getting no answers, I was introduced to a nutritionist who looked over my diet and was like, Now, mind you, I am Italian. So I loved pasta and bread and pizza and, and hoagies, as we call them in Philadelphia, but they're actually known, I think, as subs or heroes elsewhere. And um, she was like, have you, are, have you ever heard of gluten before? I think you have a problem with gluten. And I'm like, what? What is that? <laughs> I do not have any idea. And so that began my journey down this road of realizing that food – it doesn't mean that you have an allergy to it, but that it just may not be working for your body for specific reasons due to stress and genetics and, um, you know, things that happen to us in life that we end up with leaky gut or gut infections or what have you. And so over the course of several months of removing things like gluten and I also had a sensitivity to casein and eggs and some other uh, Leafy, dark leafy greens. I couldn't have cashews. I couldn't have. I hate kale still, but I couldn't have kale. Um, I couldn't have arugula. I love arugula now. So, um, you know, I learned a lot about food from that experience, and my entire life really changed in having to go gluten free and take out all these other food um, proteins and triggers and such. And as a result, i started I started to realize that there was a real need for people to not only feel like they were normal despite them having all these health issues and, and issues with food per se, but then also like, how do you do it practically? How do you, how do you live this way and not feel like a prisoner or that? I don't know. just like that you're being punished, you Mm -hmm. know, like how do you go out? How do you feel like a normal person at the holidays or just when you go out with friends? So that's how I started gluten-free school. And, um, yeah. So I have a lot of experience that started out as being the patient, being the person that had no idea what was going on. And that then led me down this road of, you know, wanting to learn more and help people more. Um, and thus, I ended up at the University of Bridgeport.
0: Nice. Nice. And so had you started gluten-free school prior to um, the master's degree in nutrition?
1: I had. So I started gluten-free school in 2011, um, and it was just based at the time on my, you know, my experiences of going gluten-free and where gluten hides and what products to try. It was, it was very much a blog. <laughs> I mean, I was a health coach at the time, but it was definitely a blog. And since then, and especially in the, in starting down the clinical nutritionist route. It has transition, transitioned tremendously because I recognize that oftentimes people have a starting point. And for some, it may be like, I don't feel well, my doctor's not listening to me. Oh, I heard this thing called gluten and or a friend told me I should try and take gluten out of my diet right. and let me give this a try. And so there's these introductory points where people are, very much um, not in the know about how large of a problem gluten is beyond just the food component um, and how it affects the body systemically oftentimes. And then um, how do you become a better advocate for yourself? How do you start to look deeper and say, well, okay, yeah, Stuart, gluten and dairy and eggs. Maybe they're a problem for you, or maybe it's something else, you know, but what's underneath that? Is right. it necessarily just the food that you have to be concerned about? Or maybe do you have to look at other things like um, GI dysfunction? Uh, So maybe your stomach acid isn't sufficient or you're not producing enough pancreatic enzymes or hey Maybe you're just not chewing your food enough busy people (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) People who stand up and eat and don't chew very much um, that can cause tremendous believe it or not That can actually cause a lot of digestive problems So looking at all those different factors and then diving into into like some autoimmune sectors and I like to talk a lot especially right now about skin issues because I actually ended up with eczema. Um, Oh gosh, I don't even know how long ago it was, but it started actually when I was at the University of Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. I didn't connect the stress from being in grad school to (laughs) developing... (laughs) <laughs> until more recently <laughs> and um, that's when I realized that I was like oh school yeah grad school is a trigger was a definitely a trigger for my eczema and um, the things I've learned about uh, the parts of, of having eczema um that I didn't go through fortunately because I knew about integrative approaches to right. resolving these issues so I Yes, I spent a bunch of time frustrated, but I was just like, oh, well, let me go back to the gut. Like I did something that, you know, most people don't have the awareness or the knowledge or the know-how to even do. And so I was able to like really shortcut that journey and resolve it a lot faster than a lot of other people have been suffering for decades even
0: that's a great journey, you know, that you've been on. And, and I learned, you know, through the clinical nutrition degree, I really learned a lot because I too had been in practice for quite some time and, and obviously knew the implications on, you know, with gluten and food sensitivities. And, you know, we really learn a lot more though, about the confounding variables and stress Mm -hmm. and gut health as being the root of, root of all of it. And I too, you know, like you have, have a, you know, a health story and, and had realized early on, like, yeah, like 11, 12 years ago that gluten was an issue. And that sort of spurred my interest in nutrition and in clinical nutrition. And then, you know, funny enough, as you kind of start to heal yourself and, it starts to form your belief system around nutrition and how you work with clients. And then through clinical, the clinical nutrition degree, I was telling you that uh, that was, that was the time when I decided for whatever reason that it would be a good idea to start a second master's degree um, six months after my first child was born while I was trying to run a training business and a coaching business. And and so that was like when I personally you know, very similar to you encountered a whole different host of health issues for me had to do a lot, a lot to do with chronic fatigue and, and stuff like that, but I won't go into that now. Um, so I'm with you and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important though, that we experience those things because it, it offers us the, uh, the tools, you know, the, the education and tools to be able to have empathy for those that we work with and to be able to effectively support them. And so, you know, you, you talked about your, you know, kind of, I think the logical progression of kind of focusing on the gluten as being, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal, but there's some deeper seated stuff. And you talked about gut health specifically, and you talked about eczema and, and skin conditions. what, what are you seeing going on with those? What are you working on with your patients currently with those types of conditions? What are some of the things that we should be aware of?
1: Well, I'll say this. Um, my number one concern right now, and I've talked about this actually on a couple of other podcasts more recently, is that I think there's been an over-focus and an overemphasis on elimination diets. And when I say that, I mean like very excessive eliminations. I, I understand to some degree that When you get sick, I get it, been there, done that a number of times, Um, you feel very out of control and you don't understand why this is happening to you and so the easiest thing that you can control or at least the thing we perceive that we can control that's easiest is what we eat. You know, for some reason we don't ever think, well maybe I should deal with my stress levels. I could breathe, I could meditate, I can do any number of things. We don't go there. <laughs> we always go to food. And it's also been think about how long that has been emphasized starting from you know, I I know JJ Virgin. I've interviewed her a number of times, but like she has her book on this, I think it's like the seven, seven foods in seven days or something or other.
0: Seven foods, seven pounds, seven days, something. Yes, like that.
1: exactly. So, yeah. so so we have been inundated from that point. Like now all of a sudden you've got all these solution books to all these health problems that offer a unique dietary approach. And oftentimes they are fixated around eliminations. And so what will happen is these clients in this like sort of like DIY, I can tackle this myself because my doctor won't listen to me or it doesn't know what to do. Um, they think that this is some holy grail that if they just keep taking out more food, that that will solve the problem and make them better. And and to some degree, to in all fairness, some people do get better for a period of time and then they backslide. Oftentimes, at least I believe it's because number one, there were underlying things that had nothing to do with food that never got addressed. And then number two, they end up with nutrient insufficiencies or outright deficiencies that, you know, now their body's like really mm-hmm. struggling. It's like trying to put a square wheel on a Moped or something and drive with that. Like it's really hard. You're probably not going to get far. So that's my big concern. I mean, I, I do think that it's important to take out foods that bother you, but to do it unendingly. Um, when, when it doesn't make sense or when you're not getting better, a lot of the protocols, you know, they're protocols. They're ti- there's a time frame there. You should only do them maybe on your own for six, maybe eight weeks. It's not feeling better. Ask for help, you yeah. know. So that would be my number one big first thing that I would say. Uh, that's the tr- the trend lately.
0: Well, there's a lot of stress involved with eating that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're constantly trying to restrict and and food, you know, it creates a lot of uh, food issues for people as as well in terms of, you know, body issues relationship, you know, issues with people's relationship with food and their body and constantly judging and uh, judging themselves on, Oh, I, I ate that, you know, whatever I ate that cookie and I I shouldn't have done that. And now I feel guilty and it's going to, going to completely ruin everything that I've done for the past 30 days or, you know, whatever. So I I definitely can appreciate that. Is there, since um, I suppose just, is there, is there a way that you would recommend, like, let's just say someone feels like maybe they do have an issue. um, And and I don't want to go super far down the rabbit hole here, but maybe someone does have an issue or they feel like they might have an issue with certain types of foods or they're wondering, Hey, do I have maybe, an issue with some of the predominantly um, intolerant foods um, or sensitive foods like gluten or dairy or soy or corn or wheat, Mm -hmm. Um, what would you suggest is a good starting, logical starting point for someone?
1: Well, if you're starting out not knowing what is the problem, I think the easiest thing is to keep a food journal, Uh, be honest with yourself about what you're eating, and then also, at the same time, track your symptoms. so, if you notice that your symptoms occur um, on the same day, like you start getting your headaches after you 've eaten a meal and go, "Okay, what was in that meal, and you can start to see a pattern or a trend sometimes that that 's a good spot to begin. I would say. Don't do too many eliminations at one time because then it becomes a real challenge to put anything back in. Um, I'd say try to take something out for maybe two to three weeks. See how you do. See how you feel. If you feel dramatically better, like I took gluten out um, and within a week, uh, it was actually, I think it's like three days. I felt a lot better. I, I felt clear headed for the first time in years. I had no more like explosive diarrhea my stomach was quieter, so right there that was a sign that this was a major problem for me um and so I don't regret keeping gluten out i've never i didn't test it to see if I could put it back in um you know, and that's fine, but where you have to draw the line is if you find that you're Becoming sensitive to other things, or you're like, Oh my gosh, I feel like you know, I had this asparagus tonight, and all of a sudden, I'm getting really sick, and I must have gotten gluten from I don't Mm. know the olive oil or the seasoning or something. You know, at that point, you have to that's a red flag right there that you're having other underlying problems. Like, asparagus, for example, is a high FODMAP food, so Mm -hmm. you know, it's. That If that's really bothering you, you could have a sensitivity to asparagus or you could have SIBO or something in your gut that is fermenting the asparagus into um, its own food and causing a lot of gas and discomfort and um, irritation in the gut. So, you know, you need help when it's beyond food. And even I would say if you've got a really complicated food situation, I would ask for help. It's just that danger of ending up with nutrient deficiencies that then impacts your mitochondria, so you you know you're having a hard time producing energy, um, you know just funk, brain function or transmitter production, and then the other thing too. Okay, I want to say this: the other the other concern that I have is a lot of people don't eat enough protein, and I used to have this mindset that like we don't need that much protein. the Americans aren't in a protein deficit, blah blah blah. But this is what has happened. All of these health marketers are marketing to people in our community who are more health conscious. Like they've, they've become aware that all of a sudden like food does bother them for whatever reason. Maybe they have autoimmune disease or whatever. And so they're like, okay, well, you should be cutting back all those products that you're eating. You don't need that much meat. So it's not even just that they're cutting off, out meat. They're cutting out even like plant-based yeah. versions of protein. And guess what? If you are health challenged, your body needs more protein than a normal person because your body is already limping along with that um, square wheel, essentially. You need protein in order to build neurotransmitters for hormone production, like your thyroid hormone, for example. You need it to rebuild tissue. Um, you need it for a lot of things and there are no stores. You and I both learned this. We, it was repeatedly told to it. There are no stores in the body for protein. You have to eat it. (laughs)
0: it. Yeah, 100%. I'm really glad you brought that up too, because I do think it, it can be a common misconception that too much protein is a bad thing. Um, and, and relative to fat and carbohydrate, um, I, I would definitely disagree. I mean, of course there's, there's definitely different scenarios and of course, whatever, it depends, yada, 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 but fine. But most people, most people, it's important that most people get enough protein mm-hmm. frequently enough throughout the day. And we're seeing, uh, in fact, a new research study just came out that there's really no limit to the amount of protein that someone can consume throughout a given given day. Um, you know, beyond like, you know, people say like, oh, you can, your body can only digest 25 grams of protein in one sitting. That's absolutely inaccurate. And we need enough protein for all the things that you talked about. We, we also need enough protein to uh, create enough satiety from meal mm-hmm. to meal, to balance blood sugar from meal to meal. Um, and for those of us that are interested in staying lean, in getting lean and improving body composition, in improving um, lean muscle mass, um, especially as we age, then we have to be getting a certain amount multiple times throughout the day, up to around 30 grams uh, per meal in order to stimulate mTOR. And and we're not going to go down that road, but basically to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, which is really, really important for people, especially like you talked about, if you were acute or chronically inflamed which so many people are. So simply from a healing standpoint, just to say nothing of body composition, to say nothing of muscle mass, just getting enough protein frequently enough throughout the day is going to serve you very, very well.
1: I can give you a good example of this just from like my own practice because I'm starting to see more and more people with skin problems like eczema, psoriasis, that kind of stuff. And oftentimes one of the fundamental problems that I see that's just like superficial and really easy to address is that they're not consuming enough protein. And again, it comes in the conversation of asking like, well, how did you end up here? they inevitably heard or read something online that said that you don't need that much protein so they even were cutting out their vegetarian sources Mm -hmm. like legumes and nuts and things like that and the other problem is if you are and that's totally cool if you're like super into being vegan or vegetarian totally fine i don't have any judgment around that but oftentimes those sources don't have as much of a concentration concentrated protein as meat sources do so you can't go oh well i had a half a cup of beans of chickpeas with my lunch i'm good yeah. <laughs> go go do the math like that's the first thing i always tell people i'm like either sign up with like my fitness pal or look up um i think it's nutritiondata.com Plenty of websites where you could start, you know, part of the educational process to make it practical is to go online and understand, well, how much protein is in what I'm eating so then I can start making better decisions. And at that point, people are shocked. They are shocked. They're like, I had no idea that I actually wasn't consuming enough protein. And I give them that benchmark. I'm like, 25 minimum grams of protein per meal. And they're like, Thank you. Oh, "Thank you." what? How am I supposed to get that? And I'm like, well... You gotta learn, first of all, how much you're eating. You gotta get the baseline. Don't judge yourself. You are where you are. You gotta play the hand that you're dealt, and you can do better the next time. And we're we're on to the next time now. So we're gonna do yeah. better. And um, you know, especially when you have chronic skin issues. And, you know, it's really sad too, because so many people have like skin issues that become so debilitating that. The, they develop wounds that will not heal, and so they're walking around with like skin like you look like either you're burned or you're infected, and um, people think you're dirty and you're not washing yourself. I mean, there's a lot of stigma that goes along with chronic eczema and psoriasis, etc., where people like don't even want to like you can't you don't want to unco- like be wearing you know short sleeves or shorts or right. anything that would like show these rashes because people stare. I had it on my hands. Yeah. Which is the worst because no, everyone's looking at my hand like, um, what's <laughs> up with your hands? Like they look horrible, they look painful, and they look disgusting. Or do you have an infection? I don't want to touch you. Yeah, I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't even wash my hands because water hurts so much. So, you know, this is a big thing where they're not eating enough protein in order to repair the skin, and your skin, you can walk around with wounds on your skin for a long time. Your skin is the lowest priority on the totem pole as far as organs are concerned. So if you're not providing your body and whatever else is going on with like chronic illness, so say you have Hashimoto's or gut issues or celiac or whatever, whatever you have your body's going to prioritize that stuff that's more critical to you maintaining life over your skin. So your skin's never going to get better if you're not providing the body, generally speaking, with enough of whatever it needs. And that's why no matter what you have going on, you have it's, it is imperative to make sure that you are eating enough protein. And I've actually found too, and I don't know if you've found this with clients, but Especially those who feel like they don't have enough energy and they're really debilit like they feel physically exhausted, eating enough protein really helps them develop a much more clear headed sense of you know their awareness, their day, what's going on, but they just generally feel better
0: a hundred percent and usually you know I mean. While we know now from research that breakfast isn't necessarily the most important meal of the day, for a lot of people, it can be, especially Mm -hmm. by including enough protein, because it really jumpstarts energy, um, you know, stable blood sugar for so many people and, you know, neurotransmitter, the, the right neurotransmitter production mm-hmm. just gets people jump started for the day. Um, to say nothing of when you're eating enough protein, you're replacing a lot of the calories potentially that could be coming from processed or refined carbohydrates or, and, or fat, which is super calorically dense. And so simply from a, managing your caloric intake throughout the day. Like protein is, it's an absolute must. i um, curious, Jen. So, so you talked about skin conditions and eczema. What are we seeing? What are you seeing from a, a gut health standpoint from a, what are the, what are the things that are contributing to our, our skin, which is an organ? What are the, what are the, um, the gut issues that are contributing to our skin displaying these symptoms?
1: Mmm that's a great question. Um oftentimes what people don't realize as you're kind of pointing to is that the skin issues are tied to something else. It's not just what's going on on your hands or your leg or your face or whatever. There is something internal that is contributing to the issue. So there's so the gut is one piece of it. There's also a genetic piece. You can have a SNP in a protein It's called filagrin that will um, basically make the skin, um, there's an increased likelihood of what we call leaky skin. Like we have leaky gut. There's also leaky skin. And about 30% of people who have eczema have a SNP in this this, um, really important protein. And The gut piece to this is that you could have gut infections. Um, Certainly candida, so a gut dysbiosis with candida can certainly play a role. Um, Gut infections are a huge problem, but also too, like not breaking your food down properly. That's what I was saying, like not having enough stomach acid, not producing enough pancreatic enzymes to be able to break down the food once it gets to the small intestine. So you have to look at that complete picture and say, what is going on or wrong essentially that is not allowing your body to break the food down and then extract the nutrients to be able to um, do with it what it needs. Mm -hmm. And when there are, I call them bugs in the gut. I like to keep it pretty simple with people. So because if you start talking about gut infections and this, like there, it's like, and they tune out. So I just call them like not unfriendly gut bugs. And when you have those unfriendly gut bugs or in numbers that they shouldn't be or they're not essentially kept in check, their weight wa- they are toxic, their waste products are toxic. It's overloading your liver as well. So the different and not just like, you know, that kind of BS like um, oh it to detox your liver. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, like there are, right. legit, there are legit detox systems in the liver <laughs> that do require ed- added support. Like sometimes glycine can be very helpful in dealing with the toxic burden of gut bugs. Um, but removing those gut bugs or getting them back in balance with the healthy gut flora can be really critical because you're reducing the inflammation in the gut. That means you're able to better absorb the nutrition. And that means that their waste products aren't seeping in between um, the cells through those right. what should be tight junctions, but now are leaky because your gut is completely inflamed and unhappy.
0: So we know obviously with some of these foods that we talked about, like you know, some of the the, the big foods, the gluten, the dairy, the soy, the corn things like that. That's a given that those can be highly inflammatory for people from a gut health standpoint. But what about the quote unquote health foods that we're consuming that could be exacerbating these issues? Are there certain foods that you're know that you seeing that could be contributing to some of these issues?
1: Yes. Yes. And actually one of them, <laughs> I hope people don't get mad, but it's true. Um, we talk about uh, fermented foods an awful Mm -hmm. lot right now, but fermented foods can be a really big problem, especially if you've got gut, gut dysbiosis or candida, they can contain yeast and you're just kind of adding more fuel to the fire. So a lot of times taking out fermented foods can be helpful. The other reason too, is they can be high in histamines and histamines, um, histamine producing foods or histamine releasing foods can be a trigger. So just so you know, eczema is like something that is far and away out of all the, the skin issues. And eczema can be like um, atopic dermatitis and a yes. um, bunch of other fancy names and individual terms that they call for, you know, having it in different areas of the body. But there are more extensive potential trigger foods for eczema that it's a little. Um, overwhelming. So I know you mentioned like corn, soy, gluten, dairy, eggs tend to be a really big problem for people with eczema. I have talked to numerous functional doctors about why, and they're like, there is no research. We don't know why, but I have found clinically that for some reason, a lot of people with eczema have problems with eggs. Interesting. Um, But you have to look at some other potential triggers. As I said, histamine-releasing foods, FODMAPs, the FODMAP family can be a problem, Mm -hmm. Um, citrus, nightshades, nitrates, sulfur foods, and sulfates, uh, sulfites and sulfates. Um, And then, oh, goodness. It's like the MS, like the whole fam, like glutamates can be a problem. It's pretty big. I'm not ever suggesting people go and try and take out all these foods because I can assure you there is one diet book out there that deals with eczema that like tries to get you to remove like all these foods, everything. including like salicylates and everything. And they're, these yeah. are healthy foods. And the diet's like, even to me, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> That way, it's really limited. So, um, I find that a lot of times that's not necessary. It's more so you have to look at the gut function, what's going on as far as the quality of food that you're eating. Are you eating enough protein? Are you bringing in enough nutrients that are going to nourish the skin, nourish the gut? Like, um, collagen is great, assuming you don't have an issue um, with histamines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Glutamine can be very helpful. Vitamin C is especially important because that's important for collagen formation um, it's also good for your adrenals as well, um, because this is stressful, but yeah. there's a lot of different things that we can do to help boost the skin's capacity to reseal itself um, and we 're you know always looking at micronutrient status macronutrient status as we've talked about and are there any other potential triggers and the other thing i'll just say quickly is you have to look at environmental triggers like so it could be your carpeting it could be this stuff that if you're buying really cheap clothes because you love to like wear what's in style sometimes those clothes are sprayed with chemicals just because you wash it doesn't mean they're gone so Mm -hmm. it could be the spray on the clothes it could be your laundry detergent or what you're washing your hands with Um, It could be your lotions. So of course, those are the first things that people always get rid of, but you might not think of the paint in your house or the spray or um, mold even. Um, And even for women, um, birth control pills can also be a trigger. So a history of birth control pill use can be a trigger for eczema and other skin issues as well. So
0: So, it's obviously a very... Extensive, mm-hmm. seemingly daunting topic, yeah uh, in terms of all of the things that are potentially inflammatory and could be contributing to these issues and and as we all know, and everyone listening has heard me say so many times we 're all you know so biochemically individual that mm-hmm. you really need to just start your own you know, your own journey, your own uh, investigation, right? Investigation of what is potentially working and what's not working. Is there, is there, would you say similar to what you suggested in terms of food sensitivities, just start, you know, what would some of, some tips be Mm. for someone to get started and with that said, I mean, I think it's important that if you feel like you're struggling with this stuff and you're not sure where to, ha- where to start, and this is, this is everything from whether it's the food sensitivities, where we, whether you're having unresolved issues, be it skin condition, brain fog, gut health, um, mm-hmm. things like that, um, as well as even just from a dietary standpoint, if you feel like, like you talked about, like if you're working on going on a plant-based diet, great. You know, no judgment there. That's all good and well. Like, it's nothing wrong. Like, we all should be eating more plants. Fine, but you really need to be very strategic about Mm -hmm. getting enough of the right types of proteins so that you can get all of your essential amino acids. Don't try and do it yourself. Just hire a coach. You know, I've 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 interviewed so many incredible health practitioners on this show. um, To the degree that find one that resonates with you, or reach out to me and hire someone that you know can help you navigate this this bumpy road. With that said, is, is there somewhere where you would suggest someone start with this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important point because just to kind of piggyback off what you just said, there's this idea of efficiency. We want to do what's most efficient while being effective at the same time. Yeah. And if you don't have any knowledge in that, area, it's like, I'm not going to go tinker with my toilet upstairs that keeps running. I'm going to call the plumber I mean, I know some people that will go online and look up YouTube videos and do that. And that's sort of what the DIY, like, I'm going to figure myself out and fix myself is. But there comes a certain point, like, you're a living, breathing, miraculous being. And while the body has incredible wisdom, sometimes you have to acknowledge at a certain point when you're outside of your, your comfort zone, when you don't know about all these biochemical pathways and the interaction of, like, you shouldn't be on a whole, like, pharmacy of supplements, you don't take one for every little symptom. That's not how this works. And so that's where you ask for help so that you can get better faster. That's the whole point. And so if you want to do something yourself, and I'm all about that, number one, track your symptoms. I think that's really important. Don't just assume that the one big problem is all you have. It might be easy to separate, oh, well, I have these rashes, but I also get brain fog in the afternoon, or I get have these like angry outbursts at my husband, you know? A lot of times people don't connect that there are like mood issues, um, that they've got some brain fog going on or that you get like bloating. If you want to te- check, if you notice you have bloating, I always tell people the easiest thing to do is get a fabric um, tape measure, put it just underneath the navel. So you got like this mark that you can always return to and measure your bloating. So the for, you measure the abdomen the circumference of your abdomen in the morning before you've eaten or drank anything because sometimes water can cause people to bloat. So it's the first thing you do and then you do the measurement again later in the day. And after about three days, you can take an average and you can go, okay, well, either you don't really bloat that much or some people will find out that they're actually bloating like four or five inches
0: throughout Mm -hmm. the day.
1: So you know how severe the symptoms are. Find little ways to measure them or track them. So that's a really easy one for bloating. The other thing that I would say is to start thinking back to any specific triggers or stressors in your life. Because working with somebody like you or i we need to know that information and if you've kind of done your own digging and figured out what your story is everybody has their own unique story about how they got here what their family history is all of these um triggers and antecedents and that's all important to help you figure out where you're going to go you can certainly get food sensitivity testing done i would caution people to not get panels that are so freaking extensive that you're going to like, your head's going to spin because it's going to tell you you're sensitive to everything. Um, I think like a hundred foods is probably the max. It's really probably all you need to know. Um, So don't go wild and crazy and don't really pay attention to the mild if you get it back, don't go, oh my gosh, i got to take out the mild ones. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the mild ones. Yes. Um, I would start there. I would start cleaning up your diet. Get rid of the junk food. Get rid of, like, the Big Macs if that's where you are. You're drinking your Diet Coke every day. Try and wean yourself off of that because, inevitably, that's going to be something that, like, you know, you're in to obviously you're going to be like, okay, got to get rid of that diet Coke. And I would say the same thing. So if you know that there are some foods to weed out, start that process. Now. Yeah. Um, if it's a skin issue, clean up your environment, clean up what you're putting on yourself and what you're exposing your skin to laundry detergent, get rid of the dryer sheets, by the way, you don't need them. <laughs> They're mm. so unnecessary. And, um, I would say, make sure you're drinking enough water. That's like a big one that people sort of overlook. And I don't know why. I think the free things people oftentimes think are pointless to do. Like it's free to drink more water. Like hopefully not out of a bottle, get a filter and and drink the water out of your tap. They're usually okay unless you really have serious water issues, but make sure you're, I always tell people that to shoot for like 60 to 80 Um, you know, the eight grams uh, or the eight glasses of water is usually a, a reasonable mark for most people to hit, especially if you're constipated. That is very, very important to be getting enough hydration into the system because with skin issues that are do that dryness is a problem you can't depend on the moisture being put on the outside to rehydrate the skin it has to for the most part come from the inside so if you're not consuming enough water you are also putting your body at a real disadvantage essentially for that moisture barrier of the skin as well as just general gut health we need water in the GI tract so I think those are really good spots to begin and um I would just say start tracking things, write things out, and then before you get to see a practitioner, if you, if that's the route you choose to go, um, write out your questions ahead of time. Write out your concerns so that you're not sitting there rambling. Make notes, show up prepared, just like I show up prepared to my client calls. And that way you can be efficient and effective in the process.
0: Beautiful tips and so seemingly simple you know and just to summarize for for everyone listening is is what did we talk about today Well, we talked about some complex issues part of the solution were you know seemingly pretty easy and that was well first optimizing digestion through one hydration right if we We can't produce enough stomach acid and enzymes to break down our food if we don't have enough fluids in our body and we get those fluids from the water that we're drinking, right? So make sure we're consuming enough water throughout the day, plain and simple. Make sure we're chewing our food so that we can break it down, absorb and assimilate the nutrients. We've talked about that and we've, we've interviewed experts in earlier episodes on the importance of digestion. We talked about Uh, enough protein intake multiple times throughout the day, at least 25 grams of protein throughout the day. And, you know, managing your stressors and then looking at your environment. Those alone will go so far for anyone that's having issues that knows they need to take the next step, but maybe isn't ready to hire a coach. And so... I hope that's helpful, Jen. That was um, absolutely amazing uh, information sharing and I appreciate you being so honest and upfront with everything uh, about your journey. Jen, where is the best place for people to find more about you?
1: Well, they can check me out at glutenfreeschool.com, obviously, because that's sort of my online home. And I write a lot of articles and have recipes. And I actually have my own podcast. So hopefully I'll be able to have you on sometime. We so can talk I'd about what you're up to. And um, that's the the best spot for people to really um hunt me down. I mean, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. So, I share it just awesome. in case you want to know what I actually eat. Instagram is the spot to follow me on ah, I I, see. I okay. do share my actual food. <laughs> all right.
0: Okay. Cool. So, we will check that out and Jen, just a couple quick questions, a couple quick follow-up questions. So, let's see. First uh is what are one or two people or resources that you've been learning from in the past year?
1: Ooh. Oh my gosh. Um I would say, what am I? Oh, I've been learning about habits. Um yes. the what is it? The power, the power of habits, why we do what we do. Charles Great book. Do Higg. Yes. Yeah, oh Duhigg. my gosh. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> I loved that. And um, oh gosh. What else? there was another book. I'm trying to think it was like something very inappropriate, like, um, giving too many. I'm not going to say it. Cause I don't know if you're podcast. Is, but yes. It's the subtle book.
0: art of not giving an F.
1: Yes. That book. Yeah,
0: that's a great book. as well.
1: You know, part fr- of it was after school, after grad school, I was like, I really need to take a step back. I mean, I've been, I've been, I certainly am involved in other clinical things, but I just wanted to spend some time like looking at myself and how I view the world and how, and then those two books were really helpful
0: yeah i I'd I agree and and you know it's interesting because you brought up the habit um, the power of habit mm-hmm. and you know we talk a lot about I've talked a lot about habits in the past and it's a significant por- portion of my coaching process to the degree that I've found that just helping people implement better habits from week to week for for example like hey, instead of saying drink more water, chew your food, <laughs> eat enough protein right eat more vegetables stop eating gluten it's like whoa like that's a, that's a lot of stuff but if we say hey, this week, all we're going to focus on, right, is all I want you to do is kind of hit like a water goal. Just want you drinking enough water. Let's start first thing in the morning, drink 16, 20 ounces of water. And, you know, so that's the idea. Um, So the power of habit is huge. And um, so I certainly can appreciate that. And let's just finish up. Last question is, if you could only eat one meal, For breakfast, lunch, dinner, for the rest of your life, what would that meal look like?
1: It would probably be something with avocado. Probably like Mexican or Latino. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, something maybe like uh, like Venezuelan food, like a pabellón. I think they call it. It's like a mixture of. black beans and stewed beef and guacamole and this cheese inside of a um, arepa. (laughs) I would probably be really happy. (laughs) That
0: sounds legit. Now, the one caveat to that is if you could include a gluten-containing food without getting sick, would you and what would it be?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Okay, if I could... It would be the um, homemade tagliatelle that um, this family friend used to make in um, in Bologna, Italy that right. I had many years ago, if I could. If All right. I could. It was go. to die for. Phenomenal.
0: <laughs> Jen, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor having you on the show. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. You know, I just, I just appreciate people like you, your honesty, your compassion, uh, and your desire to create change. And uh, so keep up the great work. Let me know what I can do to support you. And uh, we'll, we'll catch up again soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And I wish all of your listeners the best of luck.
0: Thanks, Jen. Take care. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Jennifer Fugo. If you want to find any of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find those links over in the show notes at bslnutrition.com forward slash episode four five. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. As always, I'm so appreciative to have you tuning into the podcast, whether you're a first-time listener or you've been following along over the past 45 hours episodes. Just wanted to say massive thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to tune in. Hopefully you found some useful nuggets of information and insights that you can directly apply to your own nutrition program and or that you can share with someone you love. And hey, if you have any questions about any of the topics that we're covering or you are interested in the coaching process then feel free to just shoot me an email over at ben at bslnutrition.com. I'd be happy to jump on a strategic nutrition coaching call uh, at no charge in order to help kind of guide you, figure out what we can do to help support you and uh, move in the right direction. So with that said, enjoy the rest of your day and I will catch you next week. This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness naturally without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape and or lemon lime.